Hey, kiddo, how was the hill? Did you learn anything? Yeah, that ripping pow induces spontaneous joy. The Icon Pass lets you do you at 50 destinations worldwide from 249 Adult. Drop in for next winter now and save at IconPass.com. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the WIM Podcast. Women in Influencer Marketing, or WIM for short, is a first-of-its-kind exclusive networking group made up of inspirational women. This podcast is where we explore influencer marketing, advertising trends, and get real about women in business. Our mission is to network, to foster leaders within this exciting industry, and to share information to make our work stronger. That's where this podcast comes in. We'll bring you fresh perspectives on timely topics facing the industry from expert voices in the space. Find us wherever you download podcasts. And of course, you can always find us at IamWim.com. That's IamWim, double I, dot com. Grace Burry has been with four since it was just two co-founders working out of a Williamsburg apartment. She's been there for about six and a half years. She launched a lot of different departments, uh, which have all had huge success. And a campaign she's proudest of was hashtag influence the election, which was a four developed initiative that reached over 180 million people with the goal of increasing voter turnout in 2018's midterm election. There's been a bit of controversy around four lately in our industry, and this podcast was recorded before then. We wanted to give Four the opportunity to listen to feedback and make big changes, and we've been pleased with the actions that have been taken. There are so many changes that need to occur in our industry that have been long overdue, and I'm very optimistic that Four will be part of the community to change it. So without any more delay, let's jump into this week's episode. Grace, it's so nice to have you on today coming at us from the West Village in New York City. Um, it's such a pleasure. So welcome to the podcast, Grace. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, Jesse. I feel like we've been in each other's orbit for such a long time. So I was very flattered that you um, asked me. So I'm excited. Oh my gosh, of course. Um, I just enjoy having like the most interesting people on here and selfishly, I just get to ask you a lot of questions and just like learn more about all the cool work you're doing. So consider it a pleasure of mine, truly. Um, we heard a little bit about you and your path in uh, the intro to the podcast, but I think it's always best to just hear in your own words. Um, Tell everyone listening just like a little bit more about you and how you found your way to working at four for going on like seven, eight years now. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I'm Australian, if you can't tell by my accent. Um, and I was working my first job in Australia out of college in an advertising agency. Uh, we did really traditional advertising, a lot of TV ads, a lot of radio ads, um, some digital, but not a huge amount of social. And, um, you know, I really hated it. <laughs> uh, I was not a huge fan of it. Um, and I ended up deciding to make the jump over to the States more out of kind of curiosity and young, you know, ambition than anything else. I didn't have a huge plan ahead of me. Um, but I came, came over with a friend of mine, Em, who, um, is also still at four, funnily enough. <laughs> but we uh, we came over, 
uh, moved into an apartment in Williamsburg. Um, and just coincidentally, next door, there was a couple of cool guys rolling around. Um, we could tell that there was an office next door, but we didn't really know what it was. It was partially office, partially apartment. Um, and we ended up kind of literally just knocking on the door and, and using their dog or the dog that was in the apartment slash office as an elaborate ruse to figure out what was going on. And we ended up, you know, talking to them, figuring all of that out and realizing they had all of these amazing clients uh, that were working with Chanel and Oscar de la Renta at the time, Cartier. Uh, so very rapidly our interest has peaked um, and we actually ended up, you know, we were looking for jobs. They were very upfront in that they weren't in a position to hire. The company had only just began. They were working out of an apartment. Um, but we were like, look, we're not in a position to be picky. We need contacts. Maybe we can help you guys out for a little while. It sounds interesting what you're doing. Um, our, our end goal was kind of, you know, maybe they'll intro us to one of their clients and we'll get a job there. This can be a really involved networking opportunity. Um, but it ended up being that, you know, they kind of said, hey, if you guys can figure out how to bring a client in the door um, and figure out a way of generating revenue so we can pay you um, and, and that you can work here, we, it'd be tough to say no to. So we, we figured out how to do that and they gave us jobs and um, those jobs have changed a lot over the years. Um, and yeah, we've kind of gone from four people in an apartment to a bigger office in Soho to a much bigger office now on the Lower East Side and we're at about 35 people now. So yeah, that's kind of been, it's a very unusual path, but that was how it all came about. A classic, you know, knock on the door and ask the question and, and see if it works out. And it did. Classic, classic. I was going to say, that's such a New York experience to just right. like, yeah, just like knock on someone's door to like, I don't know, something about a pup and a ruse and then um, jumping to, I don't know, Chanel and some cool brands. And then here we are eight years later. <laughs> that's exactly. I mean, they were so casual. casual about it too, which was, you know, as someone who's from a relatively small place in Australia to hear someone just casually saying they worked with Chanel, I was like, what are you talking about? So, um, but yeah, like, talk, but talk, talk to us a little bit about that. I mean, I can't even imagine like living in one country my whole life and then transitioning to another one and knowing, you know, one other person, like you mentioned, um, and coming over and not having work and, um, just what, what brought you here in the first place? What made you want to come and, and then what made you stay? Yeah. I mean, I think what made me want to come, I mean, why does anyone want to come to New York really? I think every, a lot of people have that um, draw to the city. It's an amazing place. Uh, I didn't intend to spend as much time here. I kind of thought, you know, in Australia, there's definitely a culture of um, respecting travel as a way to grow. I think that's probably a big part of why you see, you meet so many Australians everywhere you go. <laughs> um, but it's seen as kind of a, a uh, career-wise, it can be seen as an impressive thing of, um, you know, being able to go abroad and establish yourself and get some international experience and bring it back to what ultimately is an island nation at the bottom of the globe. Um, so just on based on what I had seen um, through friends who are a couple of years older than me, 
it really seemed to fast track people's careers to go abroad and to, you know, pot potentially even exaggerate the experience that they had abroad and say, well, I, I did this, I worked at this amazing influencer marketing company in New York and now I'm back into, you know, in my head, I was like, it's two guys in an apartment, but no one in Australia has to know that. Um, so that's, I think that was one big element of it was just fast tracking um, my career progression. Um, I had a couple of friends who had, had done the same thing and I had one friend in particular who was still here who was doing really well. Um, so those were the kind of main, main draws, but again, yeah, I really only planned on kind of staying a year. Um, and then ultimately what made me stay was, was four. Um, I could just see how big the opportunity was. Um, things had really started to kind of gain momentum. It was so early in the industry that we were having such interesting conversations with such a huge variety of brands, us literally explaining to them, you know, this is how you could work with a blogger. Like the influencer word didn't even really exist yet. Um, so those conversations as someone who I studied, um, media communications and, and public relations at college. And to me, it was just, you know, such an interesting time um, to be a part of those conversations. And I felt like I had just gained a secret key to every office in New York City that I could just go in and have these conversations with people. Um, I did actually, I did quit at one point. I told, um, I told James and Rich that I was, just needing to go home and that, you know, I had done my year and that was that. Um, and James was, as he tends to be, very convincing and very adamant that I had to stay another year and see how it went. And then he felt like we were really on the kind of precipice of it, taking a big, a big, bigger level of growth. Um, and he, you know, kind of painted that, that vision and that picture. And I, bought into it and stayed and for the most part all of those predictions and forecasts have have come true so I'm definitely not complaining and it's a long time to be at one company but I do feel like I've had 10 different jobs within that time just because of how rapidly the industry has changed. And so let's talk a little bit more about the progression of four and of your involvement within the company the progression of influencers I mean you know describe to us a little bit about um, the, some of the most exciting changes that you've seen throughout your time in this industry and, and with such an exciting company. Uh, just talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, I think early on, a lot of the exciting changes were just about brands uh, really valuing the space and understanding that how much value it could bring to them. Um, so that was the first challenge, just explaining what it was, how it could be helpful, that it was something really um, integral to pay attention to. Um, after that, I mean, I feel like the first wave then, or the second wave of, um, of you know, something that kept me hooked and interested was um, just the quality of, of content that people were creating independently. Um, at that stage, we were doing a lot of luxury a lot of you know fragrance campaigns and a lot of fashion campaigns and we're working with uh, people who have you know super editorial quality level content that they're producing you know either by themselves or with a small team 
Um, and I was just, I felt like a little mini creative director. I was mood boarding. I was figuring all of that out and kind of setting all of that up and being like, wow, I can really have a big hand in what these ads end up looking like. Um, and again, if you think back to me working at a traditional advertising agency, the creative director is like the most coveted position. Um, so, and it takes years and years to get to that point. So to me, the idea of having any level of creative input into what was ultimately going to be an ad, even though we refer to it as sponsored content. It's then used in paid ads. It could be used in print. It could be used on their website homepage. Um, I just found that mind-blowing. Um, after that, I think the next big thing for us was the beyond just the quality and the, um, the level that we were able to operate at. Then it became about scale and about, you know, brands just coming out of nowhere with, huge chunks of cash saying we need 100 people 100 micro influencers each posting about this product um, once on instagram and we need it next week <laughs> and initially it was like you guys are crazy um, then we figured out how to do that we built technology you know we built processes we um, figured out ways of operating at that scale and we were able to ultimately do it um, I think, you know, after that, we kind of, the pendulum swung back in the opposite direction. It was like, okay, scale's great. Um, at what point do you sacrifice quality? Can you do both at the same time? Um, what really matters in, you know, what pieces can you not, um, can you not sacrifice on or can you not um, put to the side in favour of just getting this out to as many people as possible? Um, and so we started rethinking, how do we select influencers? How do we, you know, decide on, on how these programs should be set up? Um, and then I'd say the next big memorable thing was, um, in terms of being transformative for us as a company was Sephora Squad, um, just because that was the first application and technology driven application based campaign, um, in the world, I believe, and I think would be fair to say one of the more public camp or one of the more successful um, beauty campaigns out there. Um, it just really changed the game, not only in terms of how brands or influencers thought about how to run an effective influencer or ambassador campaign, but also how we thought about how we were selecting people and what was flawed in that. Um, you know, everyone has their own biases. Everyone has their own um, inclinations to work with people they've worked with in the past. You might work with people that you, you know, you might select people that you follow personally. Um, someone who's been great on email and getting back to you on time and kind of falling into those habits and making selections based on those things as well as the need for speed and the demand for speed from the industry. Um, but I think Sephora Squad taught us there are people in this group that we would have never been able to see the real value of in terms of the connection that they have with their audience. Um, really emotional, powerful, beautiful stories that came out of that, that literally moved our team to tears on multiple occasions, reading through those applications and the testimonials from uh, audience members. Um, so I think that just really changed how we thought about what we were doing beyond just like get this post up, get it up now and more about how do we, how do we, what steps do we need to take to create meaningful 
mutually beneficial partnerships that ultimately also benefit the audience too because they're excited about it as well. And the why is so important, right? I mean, oh, especially, you know, and I think that it's so interesting how the the story that you're recounting is really from four at the beginning to where it is today. And I think that's a really natural evolution, which is um, at the beginning, you're just trying to figure it out and get clients, right? Um, <laughs> and be able to pay talented people so they're not working right. for free or for sandwiches. And then, yeah, you get, and then things pick up when you realize you have something here. And then you're like, okay, how do I scale this? Because we're just trying to keep up right now. And then this last piece though is to me the most fascinating, which is why are we doing this in the first place? And how do we, how do we ensure longevity in what we're doing? Um, because what is, what is going to ensure that this is meaningful and powerful and really impacts people in, in the best way? Um, so, and and I've seen you guys do so many different types of campaigns um, from fashion to lifestyle to like everything in between. So, you know, in your opinion, having seen all of those different iterations take place, what have been, have, would you say Sephora Squad was maybe the most impactful campaign um, on a personal level or is there one that really moved you the most? And why do you think that was? Yeah, I mean, I think Sephora Squad um, moved, I mean, not even just me on a personal level. I think it really moved a lot of people. It was really beautiful to see who was ultimately selected and how excited their audiences were and see those reaction videos and all that sort of stuff. Um, it's definitely a favourite. <laughs> um, another one that comes to mind um, in terms of really being kind of formative in how I think about this space um, was actually not even a paid campaign. It was an unpaid initiative that we ran called Influence the Election. Um, and it was basically us kind of emailing our community of influencers who have signed up to four and saying, you know, we as a company believe that um, voting is important. We're not going to tell you who to vote for or why you should vote for them, but we believe it is important. Um, this is during the, the midterms. Um, and as a company, philosophically, we also believe that having an audience means that you have, um, it's a privilege to have an audience. It's something that you can, that's really powerful and we believe in the power of it and we are therefore asking you to use that power to talk about something that we believe is important, which is voting. Um, so that to me was just really amazing because it was kind of a, the first time that I had felt the feeling of like mobilizing a lot of people um, for a common message um, that again to me is really important and I think that um, something that is so it's just such a good example of the power of influences because the audiences that are listening to individual people um, often can't be reached by the traditional avenues that so many politicians are advertising through um, and that often those traditional you know avenues aren't as effective because they're not from a human perspective so to me it was just really um, gratifying and validating to to be able to see that happen 
and you know we had thousands of influencers and celebrities and and everyday people connect their accounts and and post about this um the collective audience of everyone that connected their accounts was 180 million so it was really just uh, again gratifying to see that happen and to have a really strong example of what i've always felt which is this isn't a vapid um you know baseless industry this isn't about just selling fit tea um it's not just girls in bikinis this is you know when you think about it it's it, it seems surface if you don't follow any influencers or if you don't follow the example of the influencer that someone's showing you um, but if you've experienced it and you've been influenced by someone you understand the concept <laughs> um, and I personally have been influenced by so many incredible people, mainly women, um, who have not only taught me about things that I might want to buy, but things that I might want to think and things that I might want to check out and, and ways that I might want to communicate with other people, ways that I might want to lead a team. Um, so it's just, I kind of think of influences in a way as like little point of view, um, you know, machines basically or, or it's like an account that is your point of view. It's not just what you look like. And I think a lot of the time the industry gets a bad reputation because everyone thinks it's singularly about lipstick and, you know, um, fabletics. <laughs> <laughs> or just hawking products. And yeah. I, I got to say, it's really refreshing to hear you say these things. Um, I it's the reason that I'm involved in this industry and really passionate about it. But the squeaky wheel is, is it's not usually us or this message. Unfortunately, it, it's mm. the squeaky wheel tends to be, you know, the, the tummy tees and, you know, um, I don't know, just the hawking products essentially. Um, so I think that it's important to give a voice to the other side and, um, you know, this is so much of what whim is all about. I mean, I find it really fascinating that um, the community element of whim has grown so tremendously. Um, and what that equates to to me is that you have these really thoughtful, intelligent, driven, articulate women um, who've all come to influencer marketing from very different backgrounds, but it's a very common um, person, but in this group female, of course, who, who, who sort of gravitates to this industry. Um, and I think that it's just such a special thing to have. And I'd love to hear more of that because I feel like that is a huge, a big percentage. Strike! Jeez, hopefully this is the last pitch. What in the walk-off world? That's a Skag Liberty Z zero-turn mower. That cat's-eye gold color. Tough as nails, tubular steel frame. Comfy, thick cushion seat. Powerful engine, heavy-duty cutter deck. Stay up! What's the call? Um... The moment you know you want a Skag. Visit skag.com to find out why Skag mowers are simply the best. ...of the industry, and um, I don't want us to be overshadowed by some of the negativity that comes along with our industry. Um, I'd love to hear, I'm, I'm going to put you on the spot, but like who are some of the people that you, you follow who, you know, have really influenced you in some really impactful ways? 
Yeah. Um, oh man, there's so many. <laughs> um, I actually do try and follow new people each week as well, even if I have to unfollow people later, just to make sure I'm trying to avoid that single lens that we chatted through before. Um, I love um, Jess Kirby's blog. Um, she has great, um, I think she and Grace Atwood just both have really great weekly roundups of like, you know, here's a mixture of products, books, articles, um, you know, so much different information that is, I find just helpful and actionable to me. Something that our team at four often talks about is that um, often influences, if you think about it, the content is either about inspiring, entertaining um, or educating people. So I think for Grace and Jess, a lot of it for me is um, education, just in that they are giving me information that I want. Even if it's just here are the places that are doing the great sales right now, it's still like very helpful and not just here's what I'm doing in my day to day. Hither from uh, Hither Palapu as well as another one who um, I love. She's just started a podcast that I love with simple things like you know, um, it's called One Smart Thing. So it literally teaches you one smart thing each episode. Um, One that I loved that hit right before all of this craziness that we're currently experiencing was um, a really digestible, easy understanding of or explanation of the stock market versus um, the economy and some great little analogies in there that I was like, I always feel lost lost and stupid in these conversations and I never raise my hand to clarify anything. I just tend to go quiet in them. So um, I think a lot of the information that I get from or a lot of the content that I get from her, I feel um, feels that need. It's like here's, some, here's something that you might feel like you don't understand that I'm going to just break down for you. Um, there's also people that I do just follow for entertainment or that I find hilarious and give my everyday levity. Um, Christina Caradona from Tro Rouge is someone that is a friend now who I've known for years, but I still just find myself watching everything that she posts because she cracks me up so much. Um, there's a lot of artists that I follow um, whose prints I've bought and who referred me to other artists. Um, even, you know, um, cooking what I feel like I get, nearly every recipe I cook from um, Alexandra, I'm forgetting her last name, I think it's Tallulah, her blog's called In My Bowl and she does a lot of gluten-free, plant-based stuff. So it's a lot of just like these people are making my life better. They're teaching me how to cook, they're teaching me what to read, they're teaching me what to wear um, and referring me to other people who it's like, oh, hey, if you liked this thing, you might also like this other thing. So, um, yeah, those are just a couple, but there's, there's just a ton. I also like to ask people this question because it also gives um, gives me a glimpse into you more personally, right? Like it's it's such a. I mean, these people are your sometimes daily, if not weekly, maybe monthly source of of the world. And so I always I ask I ask people ask that question for different reasons, but I ask it cuz I get to know you a little bit more. It's like, okay, yeah. so she likes to eat healthy. It's like, okay, so she has a political side to her. Like, oh, interesting. Like she like I'm we're doing a Zoom call right now, so I can see that you're wearing like a cool trendy outfit. <laughs> oh, thanks. <laughs> but, <I try. laughs> 
<laughs> but it's like, oh, okay, cool. Like she, she values art. She, you know, I'm also looking at the beautiful art on your wall. Um, <laughs> so it's fun. It's just, you get to know people. And um, I think that I also find it really cool that you try to still follow new people. Um, has that always been the case or is that something that's sort of new or was recommended to you by somebody? Yeah, no, it wasn't always the case. Um, when we started, when, well, I shouldn't say we, I wasn't there at the very, very beginning, but when I started it for, um, we were, there was 1,200 people in the, what we called the fashion blogger directory back then. Um, so we now have over 100,000 people who are a part of the four community. So obviously, and there's, you know, around 1,000 people signing up a week. So it's just absolutely impossible to keep up with all those people. And I don't pretend to even come close to knowing who every single person is. Um, but, you know, my job at four is now strategy based. And I think it's important that I don't just have a super narrow view of what it, any campaign could or should look like. Um, I think it's important to understand, you know, different different voices, people from different markets, um, different verticals. Um, and so each week, um, so actually it was something that um, our team started doing was that we have weekly, um, Michelle from our customer service team circulates a like weekly roundup of some of the accounts that she's most excited about that have signed up for the week. So I always go through that. I follow a new few new few new people um, and kind of go through save some. Of, I have like a my saved folders is just. I mean, I would like to think of it as a work of art, but there's, <laughs> I'm sure anyone else would just jump in there and be like, "You nerd!" But there's you know every vertical I have folders for of like content that I've seen that I've really liked and that I think is compelling, um, and that's not just creative or beautiful, but that ultimately piques your interest in the product um which is the goal of what we're doing um so you know there's a lot of that and i i find that when i follow new people i'm not necessarily following them to follow them forever because i'm doing it every week but i am going through their accounts and saving different things as references um one of those folders is new people that we should work with so um i think it's important to kind of um keep refreshing that point of view um and back to your point before about getting to know people based on who they're following um that's actually something that i've found too we launched a tool called um, testimonials which again is an influencer can ask their audience to leave them testimonials about why they follow them if they affect their purchase decisions a little quick survey and they can leave they can answer questions um, and something that's just blown my mind and seems so obvious is you read the testimonials and they sound like the influencer. Like they, it makes you realize that, you know, we all talk about demographics and we talk about, Oh, you know, she talks about luxury products and her audience is between 26 and 35 and they're located in New York and LA. But you don't actually think about the fact that that's just an army of people who in some ways are similar to the influencer. Um, whose profile you're looking at and you know it's like an army of supporters who trust that person's opinion who is quite similar to them so I think that's a, again a really interesting way of looking about it when you step away from the numbers a little bit and think about um, these people as people with 
you know, an aesthetic and interests and actionable product advice, but also a point of view and that that point of view impacts the type of products that you can promote through them. Definitely. And it is really also refreshing to hear you say, you know, stepping a little bit away from the numbers and the metrics and the <laughs> stats. Um, we had someone on our Facebook group recently pose the question, I keep getting, you know, do you all have the same experience? I get asked by a brand or an agency for, you know, influencer metrics, and then they come back and they ask them again and again and the update and, you know, what does it look like now? And it's like, like, I, I almost wish that there were maybe more thoughtful questions asked um, when casting campaigns um, to get to know them a little bit more, to get to know their audience a little bit more, because Sure, I, I, you'll never hear me deny the importance of those metrics and those numbers. I'm also like a, a geek when it comes to that stuff. I am such a data-driven person, um, but I also have an art background. Like I, I was in theater forever, so you know, I, I, I can appreciate artistry. Why are you so animated? <laughs> You're so funny. That's the only thing my BFA left me with, and a little bit of college debt. <laughs> I love it. Um, but, you know, like being able to appreciate the artistry and that it's really hard to quantify that. Um, it, it, nonetheless, it's really important to keep that as part of the conversation, you know? Um, so I, I appreciate, I love that, you know, your personal role within um, FOUR has evolved over the years. I can only imagine how exciting it would be to be with a startup essentially from the beginning to now when it's really grown so much. And now you're fortunate and well-deserved to be in a position where you get to think more strategically for the company. Mm -hmm. um, talk to us a little bit about that strategy and, and where you guys really want for to be um, and how you want it to be positioned in the influencer space. Um, in the foreseeable future. And I will, of course, preface it with, I'm sure some of these strategies has ha have had a shift because of the <laughs> past couple of months of this little thing called COVID. So just yeah. generally would love to hear a little bit about the strategy conversations that you guys have. Definitely. Um, well, it's interesting too, because I, I think a big shift that's kind of um, coming for us um, and that's been in the works for a while and we've been chipping away toward but um that we're feeling really excited to to start moving a little more quickly on um is a shift toward what we've been calling ambassador marketing um and so it's interesting we've been having this conversation internally since pre-covid but i think now that we've all caught our tails and we've all figured out um more of the like essential elements of adjusting to the time and we've been able to start thinking strategically about it we actually think it makes more sense than ever and it just really um, confirms a lot of the theories or the ideas that we've had um, so I think in general you know when you hear the word ambassador you think one of two things you think either long term um, or mega celebrity huge face of a brand type of thing um but what i think about or i think what a lot of our team members think about when you hear the word ambassador is just someone who really um represents the product and really loves the product um 
thing, you know, obviously that can be easier when you are working with a luxury brand or you're working with um, a huge beauty retailer like Sephora. Um, but I think it's that mindset of, of thinking about it, not as just I'm taking this contract to influence someone um, in a moment. I'm taking on this contract because I want to be an ambassador for this brand. So a lot of that does then have longer term implications, which is something that just in general, um, we are trying to recommend to our clients who are able that they aren't working with people on one-off posts. Um, I personally just don't think it works. I think if you're following if you're following someone and you know them and you trust them and you are there for the ins and outs of their days, um, that it just, if you see them do it in and out the door, pretty transactional, um, relatively thoughtless post or relatively impersonal post because it feels like, you know, super corporate key messaging or really brief and not how they usually speak and or they never speak about it again. Um, we just don't really believe that that does a lot for the brand, for the influencer, for the influencer's audience, and ultimately for the industry at large. Um, so I think the last couple of months have been really interesting because we've had time to think about all the things that we feel are flawed in the space um, that, you know, we've absolutely had a hand in, in creating those flaws. And I think it's the case um, of a byproduct of any industry that's moving and growing really quickly it's still a very young industry and we've all been trying to rapidly figure it out um but with everything slowing down for the last couple of months i know i've been kind of thinking all right you know i'm not spending my full day um zipping between meetings around manhattan today i have calls but i've won back by travel time and we like we have a little time to um step back and actually think about these things um, and so we've really been talking about this ambassador marketing mindset um, from both the influencer side and the brand side. And I do think that it requires um, that mindset in order for it to work needs to be adopted by both sides. Um, and when I say that, I mean, you know, an influencer needs to, the influencer needs to commit to actually using the product and understanding it and having a direct um experience with it so they can sound like themselves when they're promoting it by the same token the brand needs to then plan accordingly and get them that product ahead of the time that they have to create the post and produce it otherwise it is just going to be a complete regurgitation of their brief which usually isn't going to sound like that person um, and even that you know i think that's something interesting that has happened over time in the industry of Initially, in my experience, people used to be a lot more, um, inject a lot more of themselves into the content when they submitted it for approval. But because there was so much rewriting of captions going on, that doesn't really happen anymore. Everyone sticks as close to the brief as humanly possible. Um, but often the briefs aren't very good, like they're not creative briefs, they're just information. Um, so, you know, that's one element of it. Um, I think another element of that is um, a big part of getting your audience excited about something is you being excited about something. You know, most of these people, when I say these people, I mean influencers, um, aren't actors. They're not there to, um, like, you, you couldn't just slot them in in a TV commercial and have them be 
um, operating at the same skill level as a paid actor. That's not what the they're sharing their point of view and their experience. That's what is interesting about it to consumers. Um, so to to think that someone is able to just pretend like they're excited about something when they're not, it's just not going to work. And people are going to be able to see through that. So how do we how do we create that excitement? Sometimes that can be through um, pushing the brand toward longer term partnerships. Sometimes that's not possible, but maybe it's about, okay, is there a um, more um, investment from the brand side in terms of time and giving that person, um, you know, the ability to influence decisions that the brand is making? Like what are the, tri- what are the levers that we can pull to make this an exciting partnership? Um, is it a really fun creative brief? Is there a community element? Is there an education element that they are going to gain access to all of these different perks? Um, but ultimately, you know, you can't, you can't, um, you can't get someone interested in something. Essentially, you can't sell to someone um, without believing in the product that you're selling, and you can't do that without using it and being and believing in it. Um, so, how do we? if it's not that luxury brand, or again, it's not huge beauty retailer, how do we do our bit to create that excitement to make sure that comes through in the post? Um, so I have a couple questions um, on that. Cause I love that this is a strategy that you guys are going um, a direction you guys are going in for a lot of reasons. Um, one, I agree with you wholeheartedly that um, from what I see, campaigns are just much, much more successful when it is more of an ambassadorship for a variety of different reasons. Mostly, mostly it just rings so much more true and authentic. Mm-hmm. Um, there's more information that can be distributed. There's more of a full story and just on a human level, like exactly what you're saying, um, to be able to really, um, to be able to really believe in a product or a company, you have to live it a little, you have to experience it. And, and, and that takes time um, to, to feel that affinity towards a company. And so um, that time needs to be taken. Mm-hmm. Um, so my question is, because I've seen a couple different approaches. I've seen some agencies will come and say, you know, do you guys have any influencers who have always used X product and mm-hmm. like tell us why? Um, but then I've also seen some brands who be like, oh, like, we absolutely want to work with this type of person. So we're going to do the reverse. Like we're going to say, you know, I like, let's find the perfect type of person and then let's convert them into, mm-hmm. um, a, 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 like a cheerleader for our product now. And they'll send them stuff after the fact. Um, do you have, what are your thoughts on either of those approaches and, um, <coughs> what do you, how do you guys work? Yeah. Um, I mean, we're very lucky to have the amount of um, access to data that we have. So if anyone connects their accounts to four, we can, my favorite thing about the site is that you can search keywords. Um, So sometimes for me, those are interests um, or needs that the product meets. So for example, I could search dry skin and then be able to find someone who um, makes sense for that because they have that need or anxiety if it's for headspace meditation app. Um, but it could also be that we search that brand. So that's one way that we identify, um, influencers. Sometimes, um, the people who have mentioned the brand already might not be the exact right fit, as you said. So 
you know, sometimes the product category, it, it, sometimes it can mean client education too of like, you know what, it's probably just um, not super likely that someone has organically spoken about which deodorant they wear. So we're going to have to get a little bit creative here, but there are verticals that that makes sense for. Um, so we really dive into, you know, if who's mentioned the product before or the brand before, or if not, if they have a need that the product meets um, or an existing narrative that their audience is familiar with, that the product then makes sense within. Um, so, you know, we do things all the time where we send out, you've probably seen them where we send out, um, emailers to our community saying, are you moving house? Are you getting engaged? Are you, you know, going to Coachella? So sometimes it's industry events, sometimes it's life milestones. Um, but even that can be an element of it as well. Um, we have had experience as well in the ladder that you explained where someone said, um, I, you know, we what we know that they won't have used it yet or we know exactly who we want to work with but we need them to convert to customers we've done a lot of that um and i think that's fair um i do think that in those instances that's another indication of like okay great we can get them to convert to you know a chase sapphire bank um credit card holder or whatever it might be um but there's no it's going to be tough to get someone to do that if it's only one post and one round of posts if this if we approach this as again it doesn't have to be a year we think you hear the word ambassador and you think it has to be a full year and a mega influencer it could be a handful of posts posts over the course of a month or three months um but i do think that if if the brand is asking for that level of um thought time energy and investment from the influencer side that there needs to be um, just something that balances that scale of like, you know, we're paying you the, the rate for um, that actual production of the content and that it's being distributed to your audience. But if we're asking for a couple of other elements, like let's not maybe get into my mentality is like, let's not get into charging to ask someone to do that type of thing because there's someone in client management. I'm like, if I tried to charge a dollar for every time a client asked me to do something that's over and above our scope, um, we'd have a lot of, a lot of quotes out there, but probably not a lot of clients because it just irritates people. If it's like, it seems like a minor thing. So just do it. Um, but I do think brands need to be realistic too and say, you know, we're asking them to make this a part of their lives. And if, do we want them to just check the box and say, yep, I filled out the form online and I'm now a customer or do we really want to convert them to a customer? And if we really want to convert them to a customer, can we get them a longer term contract? Can we add some deliverables in? Do we need to work with a hundred people or could we just work with 10 and have them each post 10 times over the next couple of months? Like how can we rethink the strategy and the way that we're approaching this to make it work for both sides? And then for us as the brand or the vendor side, to be able to have these conversations as like a business partnership and not um, a really imbalanced and tense dynamic, which I think is a real shame in the industry is that there is a lot of um, the brand and the talent side kind of resenting each other because they have um, really conflicting experiences and conflicting points of view. And I think that that can be 
remedied through um, approaching it with more of a an ambassador mindset, which then comes with a bunch of other rules and guidelines that we've all been thinking through that we're going to be releasing. But um, I think it's something that at any level, at any budget level, that can be adopted and and can improve um, how the industry is is thought about and how everyone's experience within it. Um, yes, I love that. Uh, I think that a lot of interesting takeaways from that. I think, um, you know, one thing I'll share just to further uh, validate what you're, what you're saying is in my experience, I've seen so many ambassadorships where after it technically ends, that influencer is still talking about that product. Absolutely. And so their money, the brand's money, uh, is going so far beyond. Um, it's it's like in anything, right? Like you, you got to in, really invest to get something out of it. Like you, you get what you pay for sometimes. And um, you know, if you want to just pay for a one-off post and, and payment, I don't know, I'm always, there's so much more that is exchanged beyond just money. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, I've witnessed that as well, um, where, um, a brand will, you talked about Coachella at one point. And so, you know, when a brand will send the influencer to Coachella and there's all these experiences as part of it, um, or they just, they'll join influencers who are part of their squad or ambassadorship together and they feel this camaraderie and, you know, it's a lot of those, those feels that you actually can't put money, you can't associate money to. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and those go so far. Um, and so I don't know, I don't know, is it a dirty little secret or what? But I, if I, you know, I'm not on the side where I'm advising brands, but I'm just being very candid that I've always, pretty much always seen when the brand really, when it feels like the brand is really investing more in the influencer, it it stands out so much that the influencers are so much more inclined to just really over deliver. Have you experienced the same thing? A hundred percent. And I think everything that you've just spoken to speaks to um, what motivates people. And I think that an analogy that I've been using a lot is um, if you think about employee-employer relationship, um, and you know, if if it was just if I think feel like we've all had jobs where it's just like this is your job, that's the end of it. Like <laughs> no um, no perks, no culture, no um, strong management, no leadership, no. Um, you know, adequate financial compensation is definitely one element of it. Um, But I also think we're all motivated by other things. You know, financial compensation is absolutely one of them. Um, Another is feeling valued and feeling valued and heard and, um, you know, having some fun along the way are all things that make you want to do a good job and make you, you know, relationships can be motivating. Um, and if, if you're able to provide that motivation to, um, influencers or ambassadors through visible investment of either money and or time, energy, um, and sometimes your team might not have that time or energy, but they're hopefully are partners that can help do some of the heavy lifting and fold you in for those key moments where you still get to have some face time because, um, 
you know, I, so much of this business is relationships and so, and it's a human business. We, we are a data driven company, but we're not um, blind to the fact that these are still people and you can't measure every single thing through just numbers and you can't be robotic about the way that you approach everything. Um, and I do think that over the past couple of years through the need to scale that we referenced before, some of the thoughtfulness has, um, has taken a bit of a hit or the human element of it. Um, but I do think it's kind of, again, pendulum swinging back and that people are realizing that this needs to be something that works for both sides um, in order for it to work well. And in order to be able to, um, even if you think about it from a purely cynical standpoint as a brand of like, well, I need to be able to get bonus content, control the message that's going out there. I need to, um, be able to do X, Y, and Z, you know, um, what's the phrase about bees and honey, catch more bees with honey. Like you, you, if you're going to ask someone to do something more than they need to, you need to have a good relationship with them. And from the influencer side, um, the opposite end of that to me is like, you know, you would never be promoted in any other job. If you just did the bare minimum, you would, you have to think about it in that way and it's become a lot more competitive. So I think both sides need to um, be thoughtful in their interactions and think about what does motivate people, what will get me a good outcome beyond just treating this as a transaction and how can I fold some of those elements into this to make sure it feels fun and memorable and like a partnership that everyone enjoyed being a part of. And I mean, and and yes, like 1000%, but everyone doesn't have um, a Grace Murray, <laughs> oh. right? right? To to advise them and to say, mm-hmm. slow down and to think about these things. Mm-hmm. Um, because a lot of people are trying to do this at scale um, because that's how this business in a lot of instances sort of needs to be run and, and full and to be candid. Um, but I agree with you that that if you are able to, or if you give the space to be able to think about the things you just listed, um, mm-hmm. that it's just ultimately more successful. So you're going to get more for your your time and your investment, your money, and all those things. I'd love to hear, like, if you know Grace and Four as playing therapist between <laughs> the brand and the influencer. You know, you mentioned what a question. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned before a little bit about you know, some discord between them. I've mm-hmm. experienced the same thing. Um, use the word resentments between the two. I've experienced the mm-hmm. same thing. This is not a unique experience that you've had, fortunately, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd love to hear, you know, if you, from your perspective, because it is unique in that you are right in between the two. And um, for all intents and purposes, for one of four's job is to just to play, probably to pay, play therapist and to make each side happy so that just the campaign is successful <laughs> for the yeah. sake of the campaign and the work. Um, what are some things that you would tell each side? Um, what insights would you provide? What, what, what candid things would you say? Yeah. I mean, I love candor. Um, I do have, and I have, as you said, we're right in the middle. We don't represent influencers. Um, 
but and we need influencers to be able to be good at our jobs we need those relationships we need to understand you know their lives and what makes their jobs hard um, and things that frustrate and motivate them Um, and ultimately what we're selling is those insights and access to data about those people Uh, but the brands are paying our bills technically so we also um, I can absolutely empathize because I my experience is much closer to the brand's experience Um, I can absolutely empathize with the struggles on that side um you know what makes the again frustrations and motivations which i think for me is a big thing in um understanding anyone that you're working with whether you're managing them whether they're managing you whether it's a client whether it's an influencer to get to know them and to figure out you know what makes them tick quote unquote but what what pisses them off and what gets them excited. And then I think you have a pretty good understanding of how to best deal with that person. Um, I would say on the brand side, something that I kind of preach a lot to our clients is that um, authenticity isn't just the influencer's job. It's also our job and it's the brand's job. And what I mean when I say that is, you know, if you are a huge financial institution and there's, you know, nothing about a huge financial institution that is necessarily super organic to talk about on social. Like there are, people do it. Um, there's people with, um, you know, here are my finance tips. Here's this, here's that. Um, but a lot of the people that that huge financial institution wants to speak about their products might have never spoken about a finance product on their social accounts ever before. So to just go to that influencer and say, hey, here are our key messages. They've been approved by 10 layers of this organization. Um, Here it is. This is your brief. These key messages is your brief. Make it authentic to your audience. To me, that's just not enough. Um, There needs to be what I call creative prompts instead of just key messages. So you can actually get to a, so the influencer has something to work with because if you're just giving them, you know, key messages on a sheet of paper that probably also include legal disclaimers and a bunch of information that would just never be natural on social, um, you know, you're the marketer or you're, if it's a company like us, like four and we're working in partnership with you, we are the marketers. We need to help figure out how do we market your product? How do, what does that ideal sponsored post look like? And what creative prompts or questions or thought starters can we give to the influencer to make sure that we're getting to a post that feels authentic and that we're all taking responsibility for that buzzword authenticity? Because I think so often that's just completely, you know, every, like, we're all marketers and yet we're saying like, Hey, you figure it out, like figure out how to make this relevant to your audience. Um, Because I think understanding your audience and having your own tone of voice is absolutely a valuable thing. Um, But that doesn't mean that you know how to sell every product in the world to that audience. So that's just a huge consideration. Again, to brands, you know, the, point that I made before about um, rewriting captions is um, or often now I hear or I've heard more recently like oh it just doesn't seem like they've put a lot of thought into it 
And I think if I was a therapist, I would say, well, I think sometimes that is because in the past they might have put thought into something and that it's been rewritten. Um, so that's, again, been a, a relatively, I'd say, in the last six to nine months, big shift for us of saying um, how do we how do we give a brief that is going to allow someone to be creative while also making sure that we hit these key messages. So we're kind of translating those key messages. Um, I would also say really like actionable um, or not actionable, more tactical granular things of like um, sometimes the email delay is because they're not at their desk all day. They're shooting, they're traveling. Um, we can set, um, parameters or we can have a discussion at the beginning of a partnership again it's easier if it's a more substantial partnership to be able to say this is what we need from our side for this to be um, successful and and seamless does this seem does a 24-hour response time on email sound fair or do you think we should shoot for two days and that we should be aware of that from the beginning because then we can hold people to that um, so setting clear expectations up front um, being clear about what you want or like what, how you're measuring success and providing that information as well. <laughs> um, because success is, as you know, is defined in so many different ways, uh, depending on the client, depending on the goals of the campaign. So empowering the person that you're working with, with that information and saying, Hey, here's how we think that we can get to our goal of web traffic and clicks. So we're getting you for a blog post and a bunch of Instagram stories. Um, but the key thing that we're focused on is those clicks. So whatever you think you can do to get that, that's how we're measuring success. Um, you know, providing that information, that information is so often not given. So you've got to, I think a good, again, I come back to that analogy of employee employer type of relationship of you need to be, you need to be clear with your expectations. You need to be, um, at the same time, you need to be communicating in a way that is human and polite um, and it's not just like you're the influencer you're the you know mouthpiece to what I'm trying to get across um, because if you want to do that you should just you know buy a banner ad or get a spokes like it still has to um, be you know approached in that way um, on the does that all make sense or are you, oh yeah. of course it makes yeah. sense and what I was going to say too to that is I don't know when this like lack of respect sort of like went out the like respect just seems to have gone out the window in some instances mm -hmm. and I think that um because when when you say like oh well this influencer isn't getting back to me in 20 minutes like what are they just like flitting around traveling the world it's like you mm -hmm. know don't they take this seriously and it's like well like wow like if you really had a full understanding or an appreciation or basic respect to be able to not assume the worst, but to actually maybe dig in a little bit to see how, what it actually takes to have built everything that they have. Um, of course the response would be so different. Um, and, and, you know, alternatively on the, on the, Conversely, I've seen influencers, you know, really diss some brands because they mm -hmm. think they're, you know, their their shit doesn't stink and they think they're the hottest commodity there is. And yeah. I've also seen influencers shift where their head's just gotten so big um, and they've lost maybe some of that perspective. Mm -hmm. 
maybe that's what it is. I mean, both sides have sort of lost perspective a bit. Um, I love, love the fact that you guys have done so have provided so many educational things mm-hmm. throughout time as well with like, what is it for you? Like the yeah. university and like I've tuned into those and you guys have your podcast and um, because all of these tips are gold, but if we don't get them to the key people, things won't change. Um, totally. And there's always been this educational piece to what we do. Um, I wonder if that will ever go away. Probably not, I think, just because all of the platforms are constantly evolving and shifting. And yeah. um, I don't know, but I, I do appreciate that you guys have really invested time into simply just educating both all sides of the industry. Have you seen it make a difference? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, I think that um, something that we've talked a lot about, so I've just said as well, you know, the frustration from the um, brand side of like the emails getting back. And I think honestly it's where that comes from is either mis- either unrealistic expectations or no um, conversation about expectations from the beginning um, or negative experience, unfortunately. Um, I think there are a lot of brands out there who have had scenarios where, you know, they it's, they're investing a huge amount of money because it has to hit a specific launch date and then their boss comes to them with something that does adjust things but that they're hoping they can make it work and then you don't hear back and then everything like it's just a negative experience so i think it can be it can be um depending on the case it's like interesting who on which side is um who's at fault but sometimes no one is and it's just a tough thing to try and get this stuff done um but I've definitely seen the education element um, pay dividends and work for us. Um, there's a lot of influencers that we work with really frequently who, you know, either come to those for you's or watch them online or reach out to our team because they watch a drink with James, our web series for influencers um, or listen to foreground our, our podcast. So um, to me or to our team too, that's always a little bit of an indication of like, Oh, here's someone who's like really um, eager to work with brands and who's really hand raising and keen. And you could therefore make the leap that they're probably going to be great to work with because they see it as a profession that they're trying to um, get better at and grow within. Um, And it's been really exciting over the past couple of years in particular that those um, for you and a drink with James and all those things, I think used to be much more just for, um micro influencers not even deliberately really but just that's who is interested and more and more it's kind of running the gamut because there's there's such a gap in the space of of um information for those influencers and i think that um a big piece of that is understanding the other side of um the flip side of the coin so (laughs) back to the therapy side of like what you would tell influencers a big piece of a lot of that influence education is just around communication um, and around simple things like email etiquette and um, you know how to communicate if there is an issue and again because a lot of times some there's issues that are beyond our control um, or sometimes there are issues that are in our control but you know shit happens and we're not saving lives it's going to be fine but if you can communicate that to your client in a way that is 
getting to it as soon as you're aware of the issue, you're offering a solution, you're offering up a call or whatever it might be, or you're saying, I'm going to post an extra Instagram story as a make good because I know this is probably an inconvenience. Um, there are ways around that. And I think a big thing that we've tried to do is, is just give more insight to influencers about the norms of, you know, um, again, email etiquette or the, the culture of um, working at your desk all day and what the expectations are that come with that. Um, and to me, you know, I think that's one element. Communication is just so important. Um, and it's not to be under, like, I can't express and emphasize enough how important communication is. And it's exactly what you're saying, like when things are communicated. So don't yeah. wait to try to maybe like, because you're nervous and you're like, oh, let me let me see if I could fix it before I mention anything. Just mention it. <laughs> bad bad news you travel faster it. than good news. <laughs> just, I think that's a good rule of thumb. Just say it sooner. Bring it up faster. Um, you know, have a briefing call or, you know, just regurgitate things back to, to the other party, whether it's the influencer or the brand, and just say, like, I, what I think I heard you say was this, and um, communicating up front what your ideas are so that, again, those expectations are set really early. Um, communication styles uh, are one of the key things, or one of the key, absolute key pieces to a successful campaign. Mm -hmm. But I love that you keep bringing back to just business etiquette. It's not even related mm -hmm. to necessarily influencer marketing. It's not related right. to um, anything more than just an employer and an employee and how yeah. you communicate with each other and how you just generally do good business together. I've heard so many influencers say, I don't understand. I, you know, they rush, rush, rush me to submit this content. And now I'm sitting on these, you know, I, I, I've been waiting for my approval for weeks now. Yeah. And you know, I, I get that a lot. Um, I understand it. There's a lot of practical reasons about why it would be optimal to tighten that up. Uh, I've seen posts in, you know, in bathing suits and it gets approved by the time it's, you know, 20 degrees outside. Yeah. <laughs> so Definitely. there are practical reasons, but there also is a, on our end, an educational piece. Well, you know, if it's a financial institution or if it's a pharmaceutical product, there are so many levels okay. of approval that need to happen. So many people and legal review and all of these things that it just inevitably takes more time. So what could have happened in that instance? The mm -hmm. brand could have set that expectation to just say, just to let you know, this type of product inevitably like will need a lengthier yeah. approval process than it, you might be used to. So I just want you to expect that. And then everybody's fine. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then everybody gets to go along with their day and, and has a sensation of, oh, okay, this is exactly how it was supposed to have gone. So all good. No, no weird feelings either way. Totally. And on the opposite side too, like if that's um, something that's frustrating the influencer or the agent, I think it's also a good idea to um, a tip there would be <laughs> sometimes that person can be off busy dealing with those 10 layers of approvals that they've forgotten to give you that update. Um, so it's much better. I think always giving someone the benefit of the doubt of not assuming that it's them who's, you know, hurry up and wait and rushed you. And now 
they're keeping you waiting and kind of coming into that communication with some like you know palpable um frustration or anxiety around getting the post up and like well we, so i think sometimes that can happen too where there can be a bit of a um a tone or a feeling of like, well, you guys rushed this and now I'm left here waiting. What's going on? I think it's a really good idea to just give that direct point of contact the benefit of the doubt and communicate in a way that's just like, I just wanted to check in because of X, Y, and Z. And if you have any actual concerns, laying those out, um, but, you know, avoiding anything that feels, um, feels, you know, tense. <laughs> or accusatory or any of those because uh, that's not yeah because if your goal is to work with that person again (laughs) it would behoove you to use your communication skills Mm -hmm. to be able to um to be able to get through it and and like you said before uh you kill more bees with honey Mm -hmm. um or you don't wait, you attract more bees with Catch honey. Catch more bees with honey. That's <laughs> one. I always get more. those phrases mixed up. I'm like, what goes up? Must come back <laughs> what down. do you do with bees? What do you do with honey? <laughs> um, yeah, you definitely you, you catch more bees with honey. Always, always, always. Um, so there's, there's, uh, that we could do a whole podcast episode about, you know, the therapy of influencer marketing. <laughs> um, but I'm glad that we touched on a lot of it today. I think that a lot of people could really benefit from hearing a lot of these thoughts. So thank you yeah. for sharing them. Um, and then I know that everybody is also really excited about all things TikTok these days. Um, you know, I haven't, I haven't really seen so many people at once get this excited about a platform mm-hmm. in a long, long time. Um, maybe features, of course, of a platform, but even then, not so, not as much as TikTok. Um, talk to us a little bit about what you guys are seeing on your end. Are are people really excited? Um, like I, I hear people asking, you know, what do I even charge for TikTok? How do I, like from a strategy perspective, what would you advise a brand if they were interested in TikTok? It's a million questions in one. So I'll let you begin where you want. Oh, of course. Yeah. Um, I'm excited about TikTok too. I feel like it's taking up a huge amount of my time now. I like started with just being like, oh, I have to understand this and then find myself just watching a spiral like down a you know content spiral of like lip syncing you know it's just it's so it's so much fun it's such a fun platform and obviously it's growing so explosively um so i mean we've kind of been recommending a bunch of different things depending on what the brand is um i think the first step is thinking through um you know you can't fit a square peg in a round hole so <laughs> Um, I think the first step for any brand is really spending some time on there and understanding what's what, because I think when you first dip your toe in, you're like, what is going on here? Um, what are, what is everyone talking about? How do I even navigate it? Where's my feed? Um, so I think getting a sense of the feeling of it and like what is natural, um, what makes sense is absolutely the first step. Sounds like an obvious one, but I think one that's often skipped, (laughs) um, in terms of what we've been recommending, um, there are some brands that are uh, in the space of being able to be kind of playful and funny. 
um, and that it's their TikTok or our strategy for them on TikTok is less about, um, you know, even promoting a specific product or its benefits and more about brand awareness and the kind of brand affinity that comes with being on TikTok and doing a good job of it for that demographic. So I think just being there in a fun and interesting way makes sense and works for a lot of brands. Um, so if it's a brand like that, that you feel like, you know, maybe it's, um, I mean, like Chipotle have done such an incredible job of just like having so much fun with it um, and finding a way of, of um, you know, going about it in that way. So there's brands that are like um, comfortable with having a sense of humor, comfortable with the content being dancey or humor or just comedy driven. Um, and in those instances, I think for me, it's just about A, the brand being there and B, being there in a way that's actually cool and not like your, you know, strange uncle trying to hang out at the bar or something. Um, and then there's also other brands where maybe they're not that fun. Like they, they are, um, you know, there's a lot of great beauty stuff on um, TikTok at the moment where you can do more tutorial based stuff. Um, but I think in general, a big, you know, TikTok's so different from Instagram in that your following is kind of irrelevant in a lot of ways. Um, it's it's interesting to brands and they still obviously want to work with people who um, have a big following, but the actual kind of discoverability and the shareability of that content is what's going to get it seen. Um, so for the vast majority of brands that we've been talking to about TikTok, really simple recommendations around um, using trending music and trending sounds, um, not forgetting the importance of hashtags and, you know, being able to make sure that that content is um, seen by as many people as possible um, because we're kind of, we've been testing lots of different things about how we think the algorithm works and, and what, um, what works really well. And a lot of that is just making sure that um, it's at least being seen by enough people in the upfront to be able to either take off or not. Um, so it's kind of, I mean, we still have a lot to learn on the platform as well. Um, and I think that we're very upfront. If one of our clients or a potential client comes to us and says, what should we do on TikTok? We've never done anything on TikTok and we have no ideas. And often our response then is like, okay, well, let's invest your dollars in testing a couple of different things and let's learn together because what works for one brand doesn't necessarily work for another. Um, and we can't just start from zero and confidently recommend you this thing that's going to immediately take off um, without any grounding to be able to prove that to you. So we're, we're big into test and learns when we feel like we need to test and learn. Um, so I think that's, that's a little summary of how we're thinking about it. Yeah. I think that uh, is really smart and um, I appreciate that. It also sounds like uh, you're like, let's learn together, right? Like nobody's going to have all the answers right now. And when new things come out, I don't know. I, I find that a lot of people claim to be like, the the number one source and you know expert in it and it's like nobody's an expert in it like come on like I would not believe that person but I would absolutely feel way more comfortable and throw my money in a person who says like 
we're going to figure this out together. <laughs> and I yeah. have the experience that I bring to the table, but like, we're going to figure this out together. And I think, to, again, that's just so necessary when it's it can be specific to each brand what works. We are gathering learnings all the time that can be, I think, applied to a lot of different brands. But I often even find that on our regular campaigns on Instagram and blogs and blogs. I feel like I take briefs from brands and it feels like we're starting from zero um, of like we're not getting any past examples of, of campaigns that, that they have run that they think did well for them or any insights around the type of content that um, has been really well received from their team or any of that sort of thing. So there's a lot of, um, and I think sometimes that comes from a, um, a big area for growth in the industry, I think, which is all of us doing a better job of communicating the wins and communicating even the things that haven't worked as well and saying, what did we test here? What did we learn? How can we improve for next time? Um, instead of just saying, you know, everything's great and this went really well, but we haven't learned anything. Um, because I do think, you know, I'd say 99 times out of 100 when we talk to a new brand that we haven't worked with before, um, we really don't get a lot of information at all um, and we have to go digging for it. And I think that's just a symptom of a larger problem, which is we all need to be, you know, communicating successes and um, areas for growth more um, liberally and more openly. I couldn't agree more. And I, you know, and the thing is also is if you're doing it right, you're always learning. If whether your campaign is considered quote unquote successful or not, um, you should learn from the successful campaigns about what to do and what to not do. And obviously from the ones that, you know, didn't necessarily pan out how you wanted, but to your point as well, um, all of those learnings aren't also go like they're not necessarily going to be applicable to everybody because mm -hmm. each use case is so different. So it's just yet another reason why partnering up with people who have a, a track record of continuously um, tracking this information and taking as many learnings as possible is just so necessary um, because each instance is, is different and um, the platform, as soon as you feel like you, you've got like some sort of trajectory, the platform will switch it up on you anyway. I know, I know. <laughs> and I think, you know, one more thing on that um, of, of what you're tracking and what you are defining success and all those sorts of things. Um, that's been another really huge thing for us in the past couple of months of, of um, trying to solve one of the problems, which we believe to be that influencers aren't, so they're not often not given that first metric that they should be aiming for. And then at the end, they're not being um, told how they did or areas for improvement. And I think it is a fine line because you also don't want to come in and again, if it's a one post thing and be like, well, you didn't really do a very good job of this. Like, I think that's a very fine line, but if it's a longer term partnership and in the beginning of it, you say, Hey, we're going to have a couple of checkpoints. We're going to give you a little bit of insight into how you're performing against other people on the campaign. The hope is that the brand will re-engage people who are high performers. Um, you know, your part, your partnership has been great. You've, we've heard back from you when we've needed to, um, we've seen that you've done some bonus posts, but you're only reaching, you know, 10% of your audience on your in-feed content, which is dramatic, like, which is a lot lower than some of the other people. So 
is there anything you can do about that so we can go to the brand and show how invested you are in this? Um, and I think like it's something that we want to kind of commit to more fully and work toward um, of being able to just give influencers and their agents more more to work with and more to, again, we keep saying employee, employer, but if you just fired someone and didn't tell them why, I mean, it's kind of tough. So, you know, if something didn't go that well, there's still, there's polite and helpful, productive, constructive ways of communicating that and not just like a peace, see you later. Um, and I think that's how the industry ultimately becomes stronger and the relationships become stronger as well. It is. And I, I like the, I, I like the way that you've articulated it because um, I don't know, I've heard some people even within whim sort of propose like a rating system, which sounds almost like a burn book. Like it sounds almost like a black mirror. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But anything that you articulate is, is, um, is received in different ways depending on how you articulate it um, and the tone and and certainly the intention. Mm-hmm. Um, so if the intention is really just to give honest feedback for the purpose of having the other person learn and develop themselves and do better, um, mm-hmm. then it should be taken that way. Um, and I do feel like there, um, we've, we've, we're, you know, so in whim and some of the background of what we're cultivating these days um, is the ability to bring a lot of these tools to light um, and to be able to provide some of this education and resources and all these things um, to all of our members because uh, there are just so many things to learn and ultimately all of our goals should be uh, to just improve our industry in general because it will create longer term success for all of us. And exactly um, right. And don't we yeah. want that? Yes, yes. we do. <laughs> we absolutely do. So um, with that in mind, um, we ask everybody this final question who comes on, and I'm really excited to hear your thoughts on it. Grace, what do you wish someone had told your younger self that would have given you a professional or personal advantage today? Oh, um, I'm, I'm lucky to have learned this relatively early from James. Um, but I do think it's something that um, would benefit a lot of people to learn earlier. Um, especially women. I think this is something that women aren't taught to value um, is the ability to sell. And when I say that, I don't just mean selling products or going into a sales role. I was in a sales role a long time before. Um, But I also just mean prioritizing persuasion and the ability to persuade people. Um, You can have all the ideas in the world you can be the hardest working person in the world. Um, but ultimately, if you can't get people on board with what you're trying to say, whether it be buy this product from this company that I work at or, hey, my boss listened to this idea that I have that I'd love for us to take on as a company um, or with a coworker, with any, you know, even in your personal life, it can be so helpful. Um, but learning really um, basic principles of sales and um, trying them out in little ways that don't even have to be obvious to the people around you 
Um, it is just a skill that, again, women aren't taught to value necessarily. And I think the, um, the image that comes to mind when you think of even a salesperson is definitely a man. And it is usually someone who is slimy and um, kind of, you know, like I think of like the dad in Matilda, like a used car salesman. Um, but if you think about, um, if you think about what selling is, it's just getting someone to listen to your point of view. And, um, let me tell you, if you don't know where to start and you just go onto Google and (laughs) I mean, sorry, onto YouTube and type in like guide, like tips for sales, guide to sales, it'll be pretty bro-y content, but it is, um, it is helpful. And I think one helpful thing that it will teach you is that women are naturally, in my opinion, better at it than men. And that is because women are good at connecting with other people. Women are great at, you know, um, being very perceptive, making people feel comfortable um, and listening. <laughs> and all of those without being too um, whatever, you know, those are things that I think women are just known to be generally better at than men and um, it's really quite funny to watch those YouTube videos and see a guy being like here's how to listen to someone or like here's how to make someone feel like you're listening (laughs) to them Um, and so often it just confirms things that you already know but it teaches you to focus on them and it teaches you to hone that skill so you do become better at it and ultimately I think it will help you um, in every facet of your life but mainly in in career development. That's fantastic advice. Um, That's fantastic advice. I feel like so many of uh, the people listening are definitely want to get in touch with you to chat more, pick your brain and just say hello. Um, What's the best way for people to get in touch with you? Yeah, on email is wonderful. Um, So my email is grace at four.co. So it's F-O-H-R dot co. I have to say it in an American accent or it. often is misheard (laughs) um and yeah I mean I love I love chatting face to face I love um actually having that time so um at the moment whether that ends up being a zoom or um eventually when we get back to some semblance of normal we try to have pretty regular um events at four even if they're really small and easy we have a beautiful office bar which makes things easy for that um so yeah, but that email as a first step would be wonderful. And I'd love, I'd love to chat. That's perfect. And we'll list that email address and all of Grace's info in the show notes. Thank you so much for coming on today. You're an incredible guest and I'm probably going to have to have you back. Oh, I'd love to be back. I love hearing <laughs> that. So thank you again for thinking of me. It was, oh. this will definitely be a highlight of my week. So oh. thank you for bringing it on a Monday. It's beautiful. Yay, absolutely. Thank you so much. Thank you everyone so much for listening. If you liked what you heard today, don't forget to subscribe and share this podcast. We love comments. So comment on this podcast and we may shout you out on our next episode. Join us next time and thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening. Tune in next week. Tune in next week.